In the meantime, turn to the book of Romans and in the 13th chapter today. <clears throat> Romans chapter 13. I just enjoy, well, I enjoy the Word of God, but I enjoy the book of Romans. Every time I study it, it's, it's just a wonderful book, praise God. And we are dealing with practical Christianity. Once you have been born again, then the lifestyle follows. Amen? See, true doctrine uh, and conduct go together as Christians. Aren't you glad you're a child of God today? Aren't you glad you're part of the kingdom of God? <clears throat> Do you realize that their standards are, are, especially for the people of God, are, are given to us in the word of God to live by? Amen? And this morning we're going to learn some of these things, and I'm glad to see everybody here today. I'm going to be covering things this morning that aren't normally dealt with from pulpits today in America, but they need to be taught and they need to be preached on. Amen? We need to know what God has to say, and I believe it will bless you and help you understand as we study these principles. But in the first verse, it says this. This particular chapter deals with our citizenship. And as Christians, we need to be the best citizens in the world. Amen? The best citizens that we can possibly be. So he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. Your King James Version says damnation. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God, or a helper of God, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very theme. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 
Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We ask you for your inspiration. We thank you for your anointing that is upon the word of God. Lord, we ask you to bring to us, God, understanding, revelation, knowledge today, God. Quicken to us, God, the words that we should say. And God, help us to understand the scripture that we study today. Help us to be good citizens, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The 12th chapter of the book of Romans we covered last week deals with our Christianity in the house of God. Now we move outside the house of God and we go out into the world as citizens of of a country, of a state. Amen? And so this is what this chapter is dealing with. It's dealing with our citizenship in, in a country. And specifically, the Bible tells us to let every soul be subject unto higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, way back in the Old Testament, God established a dispensation known as human government. Praise the Lord. If I can find it here on this chart, I'll show it to you. Anybody see human government here? Yes, right here. Thank you, Brother Otto. Right here. Human government was established right here. Uh, after the time of the flood. Now, knowing them had just gone through the waters and everything, the time of the flood, and then knowing his family come out, and God established human government. That meant that he was going to work and operate through human government to accomplish his will and plan in this earth. So he has ordained human government in this world. It doesn't mean that government is always going to be Christian. But he has ordained the government and placed it in the world today uh, to govern for him. Now, so because he's instituted human government, that means that government, we shouldn't resist government. Are you with me so far in your understanding? You know, uh, every leader is not (coughs) particularly picked out by God and placed in that position. He is allowed to be there, but it doesn't mean that God has chosen him specifically as a person to be in that place. Are you with me so far? That means that when I go out and I vote on a particular candidate, I can desire to have better government. Okay, I've heard some people say, well, when you vote against an, a man that is not, that doesn't, that's not a good person or he doesn't uh, stress morality and that type of thing, when you vote against him and he gets in office anyway, that you voted against God. I don't believe that. I believe that if he gets in office, then God allowed him to get there, but I should be actively involved in trying to bring about better government. Praise the Lord. Are you with me so far? But God is the one who has allowed the government to take place. So whoever's in that office, you need to respect the office uh, of the president or whatever. So he says that we should be subject unto higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That doesn't mean that God gets behind every decision that government makes. If it's a bad decision, God's not going to get behind it and promote it. Are you with me so far? But he is behind the institution of human government. So we need to submit to that government so far as it does not violate the word of God. Okay? What happens if the government says, tells us to do something that violates the word of God? Well, let's look in Acts 5 and verse 29. <clears throat> because in the time of the <clears throat> Roman government, 
the book of Romans was written to the Christian church in Rome. Now remember this, Rome was a pagan government. It didn't have godly leaders in it. The Caesars, in fact, there was a law that was made that once a year you would have to go and, and bring a pinch of incense and you would have to offer it to Caesar and you would have to make this statement that Caesar was Lord. Okay, once a year. But to the Christian, they could not say that Caesar was Lord even though it was a law in Rome. Because they could, they could only say that Jesus Christ was Lord. So many of them were put to death because they refused to say that Caesar was Lord. So listen to me. If we have to reject the government because it violates the Word of God, then how do I respond to that? I must be willing to submit to the punishment that comes along with that. If that means persecution, I have to be willing to be persecuted. That doesn't mean I'm going to turn myself over and just say, hey, come persecute me. But I'm saying that if it comes down to that, if I'm violating human government because I believe God's Word will not allow me to do something that they tell me to do, then I must be willing to pay the price for that, even if it means persecution. Okay? The Romans persecuted the early church. And it is to the, the church in Rome that God is writing this. He's not writing to a Christian government he, or about a Christian government. He is writing about a pagan government. And he said that we shouldn't resist the government. Are you with me so far? Okay. Look at Acts 5. Here's what it says. <clears throat> See, that's what the Jewish people are always trying to do. They were, there was what was called the zealots. And the zealots dagger bearers always trying to stir up riots and things against the government because they didn't believe that that anybody should be in government except the Lord himself over them so they always stirring up riots and stuff and caused Israel a lot of problems that they caused Israel a lot of problems the Roman government would have left them alone basically but because Israel kept challenging the government and, and these people the zealots were killing the Roman soldiers then the Roman soldiers said hey we're gonna take we're gonna take control over that situation you with me so far Amen. If they had just left things alone instead of always uprising against the government, then the government would have left them alone. Acts 5, here's what it says. <clears throat> Verse 29. It says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So when the law of God comes in conflict with the law of men the law of God must be abided by and if that means that the law of men there's a penalty to pay because you violated that law because you believe the law of God is higher than the law of men then you must be willing to pay that price praise God I don't know if y'all understand this or not but it's the word so <clears throat> let's continue he says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now let's just look at the government as a whole today. What are they there for? They are there to put a stop to evil and crime. Okay? That is their, their purpose, is to govern the world and to keep things basically together and if there's crime there, then they come down and they punish the crime. Is that correct? 
They run the country. They run the citizens of that country. Now listen, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, they, we, we gripe and complain sometimes about the government. And maybe in some cases we have a right to. But listen, if it wasn't for the civil government in our Odessa, Texas, you wouldn't have running water available to your house. You wouldn't have electricity running to your house. You wouldn't have so many of the privileges that we take advantage of every day if there was not a citizenship and a government ruling over that in a city council. So there's some, we need to look at that and understand that we benefit from human government. And we need to abide by its laws so long as it doesn't violate the law of God. Amen. So here's what he says. If we resist the power, we resist the laws of the land, then the Bible says we resist the ordinance of God. And what will happen is you shall receive damnation. Now that doesn't mean damnation in the sense of going to hell for that. It's talk, it literally means judgment. The word damnation there means judgment. So you will be punished if you resist the government for whatever reason, okay? Praise the Lord. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now, <clears throat> I'm not afraid of the law. I thank God for the law. If we didn't have the law, if we didn't have the cops roaming the streets, we would have crime, we'd have rape, we'd have disaster in, our, in Odessa. So we need to thank God for the law. And the Bible says we need to pray for them. We need to pray for our president, vice president. We need to pray for the senators and on down the road. We need to pray for them, the Bible says. It doesn't matter their, their position in God. We need to pray for them. And we need to thank God that we have a law enforcement that curtails crime and that they throw people in jail who break the law. Praise the Lord. Because he says, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. As long as I'm driving down the road and I'm driving the speed limit, when I see a cop, I don't get afraid. You know, because I know I'm right there. Now, sometimes you can even get paranoid if you're driving the speed limit. You're doing everything just right. You see a cop behind you, you start shaking, freaking out. You know, well, is my sticker still in, you know, up to date? Is my tag still up to date? You know, you're worried about, did I turn wrong? Did I stop right? All that stuff. But if you've done everything just right and you've abided by the laws of the land, you don't have nothing to be afraid of. But if you break the speed limit, if I'm going down the highway and I'm driving 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and I see a cop, I'm going to get afraid. I'm going to have terror because I've broken the law. And I know that if he catches me, I deserve to get the ticket. Now listen to me. Does that mean that if you go down the highway... And you break the speed limit that you're breaking the law of God? And that God, that you're actually sinning against God? Not always the case. Because you can break man's law, and if you break man's law, then you have to pay the price, you have to pay the ticket. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you've sinned against God when you've broken man's law. If you break man's law, and it's a moral law, then you've also broken God's law. You understand what I'm saying? So there's times that I could break man's law and not be sinning. But if I get caught, I either end up in jail or I end up having to pay a ticket. Amen? He says, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. They're not going to bother you as long as you're not violating the laws of the land. Amen? For he is a minister of God. God looks at those law enforcement people 
as ministers of God. They are the helpers of God to set the laws in place that we're to live by and be governed by and control crime. Amen? It says this, He is for good. Everybody say, for the good. Now, sure, yes, there's corruption in all kinds of stuff. But still, the system of government is still in place by God to promote good. He says, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. That means that law enforcement person has a right to carry that weapon on the side of his hip. And if you, if you violate the law, then he has a right to use that weapon. God gave him that right to use that weapon if you violate the law, if it comes to that. That means also that if a person uh, deserves the death penalty, then, you know, people, well, we're Christians and we're going to stand up against the death penalty. Well, listen to me. God in the ninth chapter of the book of Genesis established the death penalty. And here, whenever government enforces the death penalty, say somebody murders somebody, and they enforce the death penalty, they are enforcing the Word of God. Capital punishment is a sword that God has placed in the government to use to deal with murders. If you don't deal with murder and take care of it, you're going to have them running around all over the place. So Genesis 9 tells us that capital punishment came from God and He gave the sword to the government to make sure that it's carried out. Do you understand that? But there's some Christians that are always protesting against capital punishment. Well, you're protesting against the Word of God because He placed it there. Amen. So anybody ever comes to you and say, do you believe in capital punishment? You say, yes, I believe in capital punishment. I believe a murderer should be put to death according to the Word of God. Listen, our society does not put to death people that God's Word said put to death. You with me so far? Hmm. We'll, we'll get into that as we go along here. <clears throat> the Bible then says, He doesn't bear the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So there is administration, and men should be involved in that administration to curtail the evil that is in the world by discipline, by punishment, by enforcing that with the sword if they have to. God has placed it there. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is, this is really something. Amen. I thank God for it. He says this, Wherefore you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. I don't want to just abide by the laws of the land. <coughs> Excuse me, as long as they don't violate the laws of God because I'm afraid I'm going to get a ticket. But I do it because I want a clean conscience. Amen? Now, let's continue down. Let's, let's, let's get down to, to the bare facts here. Verse 6. He says, For this cause pay ye tribute also. Now, what did Jesus say in Matthew 22? He said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. So government needs support financially to pay those, those law enforcement people, those government agents. They need the support. And how do they get it? It's by taxing us. And I don't, I, I'm telling you, I'm like you. I feel like they're taxing us to death. I can say that. But still, I, it doesn't matter what I think about how they're taxing me. I still have responsibility to pay my taxes and to pay them on time. Are you with me so far? <clears throat> he says, so 
Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay the taxes. And the things that are God's, the things that are God's. Render to God. Now, what are that? That's tithes and offerings. That's what we deserve. That's what we owe God. But we owe the government taxes. So he says we need to pay here tribute. Also, what is a tribute? A tribute is personal taxes. It has to do with land taxes or house taxes. So God says you pay your tribute. You pay your land tax. Amen? Then he says custom. To whom custom is due. What is custom? Custom is taxes on import and export goods. All right? Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So what he's saying is the taxes that are placed by government over you, you must pay those taxes. If it's house taxes, property taxes, land taxes, if it's export taxes, tolls, whatever, whatever tax it is, we're responsible to pay. If it's sales tax on your work, you got to pay that. If it's uh, income tax, you got to pay the tax. Social security tax, you got to pay the tax. That's what God says in His Word. If you want to be a good citizen, you'll abide by the Word of God and pay your taxes like you're supposed to. Come on, church. Here's the problem today is that just because you say you're a Christian, and I found this to be true, does not mean that you handle your business correctly. Are you with me? In fact, a lot of Christians, I'd rather do business sometimes with people out in the world before I would want to do business with a Christian. Amen? I'm real careful about getting involved in doing business with Christians because of the fact that Christians do not have a standard that's much better than the people in the world. In fact, in some cases, a lower standard than the people in the world when it comes to citizenship and taking care of their business. God wants you to be the best citizen you can possibly be. Now listen to me. If you're a good citizen out in the world, you're going to be a great church member. But if a person is not a good citizen out in the world, they will never be a good church member. And I've pastored two churches, and I can tell you that's a fact. The people that I've dealt with in the church were people that were not good citizens out in the world. So they would never be good church members. I didn't say they weren't children of God. They were children of God. But they did not take care of their business. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So if we're true Christians, we need to take care of our business. We need to be above board in every way hallelujah I know this is making you feel real good but it's the truth amen so I need to pay my taxes then he says render therefore all your dues dues tribute to whom tribute is due custom whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor verse 8 oh no man anything so now he moves from government and he says this not just your brothers and sisters in the Lord he doesn't say don't owe your Christian brother or sisters. He says, don't owe any man. Now, what does that mean? Is he teaching here that we cannot take loans out? God's Word does not teach that there. In the book of the Old Testament, there is the law concerning loans. You with me so far? So God is not telling you you cannot get a loan. But listen to me right now. God's Word says this, that if you have a loan, then you need to pay the loan on time. As long as you pay the loan on time, then you don't owe anybody anything. But once you violate the contract and you go beyond the time when the payment is due, you're violating that scripture. You need to pay your bills on time because you're a good citizen. 
That means my loans, whatever. Now, okay, <clears throat> what if something happens and I just don't have the money to pay my loan? What do I do? Well, I don't go just let it go delinquent <clears throat> without contacting anybody. Did you know there's things that the bank will do to help you if you get delinquent in your loan? I used to work at a credit union, and I know all about it. I used to work in this stuff. If you'll just call the bank, and you can't make your payment, and tell them, I'm on rough times right now. I need to make arrangements to pay the loan later on. I can't pay it now. You know what those banks will do? Sometimes they'll accelerate the loan. They'll let you pay the interest on the loan and then and move the loan, do another 30 uh, days, and even up to two months they can go with an extension on your payments. So just don't let it go delinquent, man. They'll help you. Are you with me so far? If, but if you don't take the responsibility to make arrangements with those people, then you are owing people the Bible says, God says, don't owe anybody anything. Amen? I read a story one time about a man. He was going to an altar. <clears throat> they were all in a prayer meeting. They were praying, you know. And this man was praying. He was taking authority over devils, over certain things. And his brother was sitting over there praying. His brother in the Lord sitting over there praying with him in this prayer meeting. Heard this guy binding all kinds of things. You know, God give us power over the enemy. And this brother that was praying in that same prayer meeting, he prayed this. God give him individual power to pay his debt to me because that man owed that brother in the Lord money and he was delinquent and didn't care about it and he would not take care of business so he's praying all these big prayers about all this stuff this guy's saying help him to pay my his debt to me give him power God to do that are you with me so far people will help you if you call them and tell them that you can't make the payments praise the Lord and if you can't make the payments, then they'll, they'll just they'll come pick up the car or they'll come, you know, listen to me. I know Christians that run from contracts that they've entered into. They try to hide cars in little places and spots so the repossessor can't get it. That's wrong. Don't do things like that. If you can't pay for the car, take the car back to them and say, here it is. Come on, church. We need to be good citizens. If we're not good citizens, we'll not be good church members. Need to handle our business right. Are you with me so far? Make arrangements. They'll help you. Hallelujah. Does this, well, I'm not going to ask you if this is helping you because it's probably upsetting somebody, but it's the truth. Amen? <clears throat> so anyway, if you enter into a contract in any way, as long as you pay that payment, then you don't owe anybody anything. Once you go beyond that, then you owe. And they've got a right to enforce anything they want to in your life. But if you'll make arrangements, they'll help you. Praise the Lord. I remember when I was a young man, I had a car, and my, I, I couldn't pay a payment. So I called them up, what can I do? They said, come on in. I'd never even heard of this before. But they said, we will uh, accelerate your payment, move it 30 days, and you pay the interest. I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty neat. And this is not even going, uh, going on my credit record and showing that I, I was delinquent in the payment. They said, no, because you're not delinquent. We moved it up. So your credit's not going to be messed up. Come on, church. Why is it that Christians have the worst credit in the world? I don't understand that. We are supposed to take care of business. If you can't pay for it, take it back. So it don't show up. Now... Anyway, I can get into that because I used to be involved in this kind of business. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. 
when I, when I first went into this kind of business, I, I kind of had my eyes closed. I thought, everybody, you know when they tell you they're going to do something, they're going to do that. They tell you they're going to be there with the payment tomorrow. Oh, they're going to be there. Listen to me. My boss used to chew me up one side down the other. He said, get every fact you can. Find out where they are. Don't take their word for it because they're lying when they open their mouth. Yeah, check's on the way. Yeah, I had that told me too. <laughs> Come on. I went to, one time went down to Andrews <clears throat> to visit a lady that was liquid on a car. And I saw that lady, and she drove, I drove up. I was going to knock on her door and talk to her a little bit. She drove up beside me, and she said, hey, how you doing? I said, like, okay, well, how you doing? I was being real friendly with her, you know. She said, I'll be right back. Okay, cool, yeah, great. I sat there. She never came back. Sat there, sat there, sat there. Never came back, right? Well, I called my boss said, hey, they, she told me she'd come back. She didn't come back. Uh, that didn't sit too good with him. Well, I learned after a while, you don't listen to everything that everybody tells you. Because they'll tell you anything to get you off their back. Come on, church. we got to be above board concerning those things. You don't tell those creditors lies. You tell them the facts. You tell them this is the way it is. Can you help me? If you can't help me, then I'll get it to you as soon as I can. Praise the Lord. We need to pay our taxes. We need to pay our bills. Verse 9. Now, if that made you feel good, this one's really going to make you feel good. Oh, everybody get ready. Say, it would make me feel good. This is going to make you feel good. It's gonna, it made me feel good when I was preparing. It put me under conviction. It made me feel so good. It says this. Okay, first of all, he says, Oh, no man, my anything, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The one thing that I do owe everybody is to love them. I need to love my neighbors, whether they be in God or out of God. I need to love people. Amen? That's the debt that I will never be able to be released from, is to love people. So then he goes, For this thou shalt not commit adultery. This thou shalt not kill or murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, tell lies. Thou shalt not covet it. All right? And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now listen to me. This is the Ten Commandments, and they're in the New Testament. So I don't want to hear this mumbo-jumbo stuff that says, well, that's the law. It's in the Old Testament. The Christians don't have to abide by the law anymore. That's a bunch of junk, church, because the Bible tells me the law is in the NT, the New Testament. And it's recorded right here. And it says it's for you and it's for me. Praise God. Now, you can like my mannerism or not like my mannerism. I don't care. But I'm telling you, I hear these things said and they're not true. We can't just live any old way we want to. We have to abide by the laws of the Word of God if we expect to be saved. If you don't want to be saved, don't worry about it. But I want to be saved. I don't know about you. So all of these commandments, the first one, thou shalt not commit adultery, is the seventh commandment in the Word of God. It's now listed in the New Testament. What is thou shalt not commit adultery? What does that mean? Well, listen to me. He says, this is fulfilled. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When you love people, we have a higher law than the Old Testament as Christians. We live on a higher standard than the Old Testament law. Not a lower standard, a higher standard. Because if I love 
my brother and my sister, I won't want to commit adultery against them. I won't want to steal from them. I won't covet what they have. Are you with me so far? I won't murder them if I love them. So I will automatically fulfill the law of God by loving them. Praise the Lord. Okay, the first one we're going to deal with, thou shalt not commit adultery. Boy, God is really helping me with this one. And I spend much, much time, much study, and much thought process on this because I want to teach you this morning about marriage and remarriage and divorce. I want you to understand what the Bible says about this. But before we get there, let's look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5 and verse 27. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, let's find out. Well, what is adultery? <clears throat> Matthew 5, 27. Y'all ready to have a good little Bible study this morning? Here's what it says. Ye have heard. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 5, 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old. Who's he talking about? He doesn't say, notice, he does not say that you have heard what was spoken by God on Mount Sinai, the law. He says, you have heard from them of old. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the elders, the scribes that interpreted the law and what they taught concerning the law. So he said, you have heard of them of old. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment, right? So the men, the teachers of the law, would walk around and they would say, Thou should not commit adultery. And when they taught that, they said committing adultery was the actual physical act, a sexual relationship outside of marriage. The physical act was committing adultery. You with me so far? But the Lord says it's deeper than that. You see, humanity doesn't hold the standard of divinity humanity looks at the word of God and he interprets it one way come on church it's the truth when you when the word is preached at times or you read the word of God you interpret it with a lower standard than God does when God says something we say well you know we trying to dilute it just a little bit but God, listen, God's standard is always much higher than your standard. So the, the people, the, the elders said committing adultery was sexual relationships outside of marriage, unlawful relationships. That was the physical act. Okay? But Jesus gives us a deeper meaning to the law. He gets into the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. And he says this. Look. But I say, everybody say, I say. <clears throat> Who's talking? Jesus. He's the lawgiver. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. He said, you don't even have to commit the physical act. You can be committing adultery in your heart. Now, how can you commit adultery in your heart? He says, if you look upon a woman to lust after her. 
So the commandment to the church, thou should not commit adultery. That means the physical action, and not only the physical action, but he said if you even look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. Are you with me so far? Now, I know we're in mixed companies, but just don't feel uncomfortable. It's the Word of God, and I need to teach it to you. He said this right here. He said, if you look on a woman to lust after her. Now, there's a natural attraction between the genders that God has placed. There's nothing wrong with the sexual relationship. Hebrews 13 says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. Okay? It's a good thing. God gave it, not just for procreation but for pleasure and strengthening the union of the two people. You with me so far? Some people had a concept that if you had sex without uh, the, the thought of having a child, then it was bad, it was something that was evil, and so they abstained only to have children. That's not what God's Word says. There's nothing wrong with it. God gave it to us. It's a good thing, but it has to be in proper relationships. But he says this, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, <clears throat> there's natural attraction between the genders, male and female gender. Amen? Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Goodness. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. There is a natural attraction. There's nothing wrong with a natural attraction toward the opposite gender. If you look upon a woman and you just observe her beauty, that's one thing. Are you with me? The word there, he that looketh upon a woman to lust after her commits adultery. That means literally this. If you as a man look at a woman and you keep looking at her and you, you're examining her body until you get to a point that lust begins to stir inside of you for her body, you have committed adultery in your heart. So it's not just a, a glance or a look that's wrong. God, you know, come on. It is the, when you go to the next step and you look and you let those lustful desires begin to move inside of you. Amen. And then you go a little further and you seek out and look for that person and look upon them and you cannot express that desire that's committing adultery amen come on church <clears throat> he says this you have committed adultery with her already in your heart if you keep on looking and you're desiring her praise God this, why is it so quiet in here some of y'all look at me like I'm teaching some kind of weird thing. I'm preaching you the Word of God this morning. I told you this didn't preach much from pulpits today. But I'm going to preach it to you. Hallelujah. If lustful looking is condemned, then lustful dressing is condemned. Women that dress like Jezebel and are trying to entice the look of the man... By exposing their bodies. If the look of the man is wrong, the dress of the women to entice that look is exceedingly sinful. Amen? And you parents are also 
guilty if you let your, your ladies or your girls dress in an ungodly way. You are guilty. Amen? Look at Jezebel, 2 Kings 9. The Bible, we're not going to read that, but look what she did. The way she dressed herself, the way she did all of that was to try to get Jehu to look at her with a lustful desire to have her. Come on, church. <clears throat> but listen, who in this church can say that you are guilt-free from that passage of Scripture? Which, who can say, I'm guilt-free? Listen to me. You might say, I've never committed the physical act, but Jesus said there's something deeper than just the physical act. It's the want to that gets you in trouble. Amen? So when Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, don't think that you're going to be saved if you'll observe the Sermon on the Mount because every one of us have condemned by it. You with me so far? Everybody here has to hang your head in shame and confess you're the lawgiver, Jesus, and I need redemption. I need forgiveness. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we still need to abide by it. And so you would say, well, that's absolutely impossible, preacher, for me to do. You with me? Who's he talking to right there? He's talking to his disciples. His own people. Here's what he says. <clears throat> okay. He, he's already got in his mind this question of impossibility coming from the, from the human family. Saying, That's, I can't do that. It's impossible. Because if I look at a woman who's beautiful, then I'm going to have a tendency to naturally desire her sexually. It's impossible. Are you with me so far? Woo! Come on, church. Okay, here's what Jesus says. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's not impossible. Just pluck your eye out. Come on. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. <clears throat> This is so serious, it will destroy you. It'll, you will find your place in hell. It is that serious. What we're talking about is that serious. Okay? So he says this. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and that not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It's better... To cut your arms off if it offends you and pluck out your eye, then to yield to what the Lord is telling you right here. Because it will take you to hell. You'll find your hell. Listen, if we could get a glimpse of hell and we could compare it to the present life, I assure you, church, that you would do whatever you had to do to make sure that you are pure in heart. Come on. We don't have a reality of how bad hell is. Jesus did. He said it's better for you if you have a problem with that sin to cut your arms off and pull out your eyes than to go to hell over it. And he's talking to his disciples. This word is coming to you and it's coming to me. <clears throat> Can you imagine that God would speak to his disciples and basically put a fear in them about hell why would he do that he will do that to you and me
your body. You destroy your body. You are sinning. So God is not going to tell you to maim your body. What he is saying here is this. Is that we should be so on guard, double guard, that if we have a tendency to gravitate towards these things, he said you need to take care of whatever's causing you to do that. Cut it out of your life. Get rid of it. Whatever's causing you to be tempted. Get, get away from it. Excuse me. Get away from it. Get whatever the thing is out of your life. It'll destroy your life if you let it consume you. Amen. Men say, boy, brother, you're, you're talking to me. Well, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with the look. The problem is the continual looking and the desiring. Praise God. That's wrong. That's sin. That's adultery. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, me. I knew this was going to be a shouting service. <clears throat> Hallelujah. God is telling us, friend, if, you want, if we want to make it to heaven, we got to be on guard. we got to watch not just our actions, but our inward thinking too. Praise the Lord. If you find yourself in a situation and you'll, get, you'll, you'll be tempted, listen, you can't, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you cannot take fire into your bosom and not be burned. Don't play with it. You, I'm telling you, you do not have the strength to overcome that. For you know what, you, you'll catch yourself in a relationship of adultery and, you know, what do you do now? All right? So what do you do? You stay away from situations that would allow you to be tempted to that point. Amen? Come on, church. Be on guard, double guard. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, let me read again. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that the, one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I want to go to heaven, don't you? <clears throat> and if I've got to make drastic decisions in my life to assure my place, not in heaven, then God says, take them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It would hurt for you to pull your eye out of your head. It would hurt for you to cut your arm off your body. It's going to hurt you to get away from some situations in your life that you are being tempted in that will take you to hell. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. Hallelujah. Whoo, praise the Lord. Now, let me continue. <clears throat> so we dealt with the thoughts. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The seventh commandment. See what Jesus is doing? He is giving you the spiritual interpretation of the seventh commandment. It goes deeper, much deeper than the, just the action. That's why when I preach from the Old Testament, I can go in there and give you spiritual principles in that Old Testament that aren't even written to me because they have a deeper meaning than just the surface. They're spiritual. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus said. Now, verse 31. <clears throat> it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, when you get into these things, especially what I just talked to you about right here, you know what it does? Everybody in this church has messed up in that area. And it causes us to bow our head in shame and confess to God and ask for forgiveness. It not only does that, but it allows me to walk humbly. And it allows you to walk humbly. Amen? Amen. 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So he says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever should put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to teach you here on this. Go to Matthew 19. verse 1 let me let me just go to verse 3 and <clears throat> the Pharisees also came into him tempting him and saying unto him it is lawful for a man to put away his wife is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause now this is the debate of the ages it is <laughs> the Pharisees have been debating it from the time the law was given is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And by the way, in the Old Testament, a woman could not put away his wife in Jewish law. Gentile law, it could be done, but not Jewish law. So he says, is it, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now they want to know the answer to this question because there's two schools in the day of Jesus. One school is Shammai. Shammai said that the only thing that will allow a person to divorce their wife is fornication sexual unfaithfulness amen the other school was Hillel and Hillel taught for every cause you could put away your wife that means that if you didn't season sisters if you didn't season his food right you over seasoned his fruit food he could write you a bill of divorcement right then and send you on your way. I'm telling you the truth. Amen? If you walked, if you went in public and talked to men in public under Hillel's law, that man could divorce you right there for that. If you walked in public with your head uncovered, he could divorce you right then. If you spoke disrespectful, of his mama or his daddy you're out the door <clears throat> you think I'm kidding if you burn his food you're out the door <clears throat> I'm telling you the truth so that's why they said to Jesus can a man divorce his wife for every cause amen hallelujah which one's right, Lord? Is Shammai right or is Hillel right? Which one? They've been debating it back and forth. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to see. Now listen to me. What is the legal grounds to annul a marriage? Is basically their question. There is only one thing in God's law that will allow a person to annul a marriage, and that is fornication. Because if the spouse dies, then you don't need to divorce them. The contract's broken. So you, fornication, that means unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness to the other party. 
automatically breaks the covenant of marriage and God annuls it. That's it. Amen? It's not if they burn your eggs or whatever. Or if they, even if they quarreled with them, they could write a divorcement right there. No grounds for it. Shammai said that the woman, the wife, could be like Jezebel or worse than Jezebel. Be a heathen to the core. But yet you have no law to divorce her. Come on, church. This is the high standard of God. They made laws, men made laws, by which you could annul marriages for lesser reasons than that. So they put a low standard of marriage. Okay, you with me so far? So he says, Is it law for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And so now Jesus is going to answer by God's word. And he answered and said unto him, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall be glued to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Amen. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. <clears throat> so in God's eyes, divorce is a no for no cause. Listen, divorce for no cause. Because when they, Adam and Eve got married there in the garden, there was nobody else to get married to. That was it. God's plan was one woman for one man for life. <clears throat> That's God's plan. Amen. Listen. They said to him, Why did Moses then give a commandment to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? Amen. Let's go over here to Deuteronomy 24 and let's look at the law of marriage, the law and marriage in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 24. This is the law and marriage. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it came to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Now that was the debating issue right there. What is uncleanness? Shammai says fornication or adultery. Hillel said that could be any of the above that I mentioned to you. Okay? What is uncleanness? Then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. <clears throat> And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another's another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, this now look, this is the second husband. If the second husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which she took to be his wife, her former husband which sent her away may not take her again. So here's first husband. There's a divorce that takes place from the first husband. She goes and she marries another man. And this man divorces her too. The Word of God says she cannot go back to the first husband. Also, if she goes and she marries a second husband and that husband dies, she cannot go back to the first husband. So the, the situation is this, is once a 
man or a woman marries a second time, they can never go back to their first husband. Now, I'm teaching you that from the law of God because I've heard people come to me and they say, well, maybe these two will get back together. And I'm saying it's an impossibility. They cannot, according to the Word of God, go back to the first husband or the first wife if they've been remarried. Okay? So he says this. He says, let me read verse 4. Her former husband which sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is what an abomination before the Lord. That means God hates that. And what God hates then, He still hates now. Okay? And thou shalt not cause the land to see which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Okay. Verse 1. Under the law of Moses, it was permissible to give a writing of divorce to an innocent person that had not committed adultery or fornication with somebody else. But let's say that it got into, it got into a heated situation where the men and wife were, were getting to a point there could be bloodshed in the house. In order for that not to go to that point, then it was allowed or permitted by Moses for that, that relationship to be dissolved. But according to God, God did not approve of it. You with me? So then if that woman left that husband or that husband divorced her for any reason other than adultery or fornication, God didn't approve of it. And if that woman went and married somebody else, she committed adultery. Period. You with me? I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it to you by the Word. Go to Matthew 19 again. <clears throat> Praise God. Now, you've got to stay with me here through the whole message. You've got to hear me through the whole message. You've got to stay with me. This is too vitally important. Okay? Because I'm talking to all kinds of people here in this church. And you have to stay with me so I, so I can help you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. <clears throat> that is why Jesus says in verse 8, <clears throat> He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So you have no annulment rights to a marriage by God, then the next verse tells you what that is, okay? Now, in government, government will let you divorce your husband or your wife for all kinds of stuff. But God says the only thing that annuls marriage in my eyes is this. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay. But from the beginning it was not so, and listen, verse 9. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So the, the grounds for a, the proper grounds for divorce is, if the husband or the wife has been sexually unfaithful to you, then you are an innocent party according to God's eyes and he, he will let you get remarried. Praise God. 
But even then, it's not commanded. Just because somebody commits a, adultery and you're married to them doesn't mean you're commanded to divorce them. It's allowed, but not commanded. You can pray and hope for reconciliation. Those people will repent and get right with God and live for God and that the marriage will be restored. So it's not commanded. It's just allowed. That's the only grounds, only grounds for, re, for divorce and remarriage. Okay? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> okay. And it says, if you, but if this happens and you get a divorce based on any other grounds than sexual unfaithfulness, then whoever you go and marry, the Bible says, let me read it. If you marry another, you commit adultery. And those, and whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. <clears throat> That's what God says. So therefore, when you get into a marriage situation, you need to say, this is for life. This is it. This is one person. I'm staying with them. The only thing that gives me grounds for annulment in the eyes of God is if they commit sexual immorality against me. That's the only grounds I have. If they die, then I can marry again. But that is absolutely it. It doesn't matter if your husband and your wife were dogs to you. Okay? You can divorce them, but you have no right to remarry. Because the grounds of your divorce were improper. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, 1 Corinthians 7. Let's look here. You see how serious marriage is. Okay, and I'm going to answer some questions that as I sat and read and studied and prepared, questions came to my mind that people might have in the church, and I'm going to answer them today. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> okay. Instead of dealing with this whole chapter, I'm just going to give you some points here. Okay. Somebody comes to you and they say, Well, um, what if I'm married to an unbeliever? And I've now started living for God, but they're an unbeliever. And they won't live for God. Does that give me grounds for divorce? Because now I'm a believer and they're not. No grounds for divorce. Well, what if... In 1 Corinthians 7, what if the unbeliever departs and they desert me? Do I then have grounds for, for divorce when the unbeliever deserts me? No. Desertion is not grounds for divorce. Jesus said only fornication. You with me so far? But if that unbeliever deserts the believer and goes out and commits fornication, then they, the grounds are laid and that person, the innocent party, can remarry. With me so far? Praise the Lord. But brother, you know, I divorced and the grounds were not for fornication. There were other grounds. And I am just, I can't deal with my, my desire for sexual relationship. Can, 
I can't live the rest of my life without a wife because I'm burning and I'm tempted and I'm dealing with that and trying to overcome it. Is that the grounds for you to remarry somebody else? No, because if you do, you commit adultery. Are you with me so far? <clears throat> okay. Let me go back to Matthew 5. <clears throat> brother but I'm going to be so lonely I didn't know that it was so strict I don't know if I can do it I'm going to be so lonely loneliness is not grounds for remarriage if you didn't have proper grounds for divorce <coughs> amen <coughs> but brother if you only knew the trouble that I'm having in my house no grounds for divorce I'm sorry Because 1 Corinthians 7 says, you shall have trouble in the flesh. God says it. So when you have trouble in the flesh, you have disagreements. You do not have any grounds. It doesn't matter if you pull each other's hair out of your head. You don't have grounds for divorce. Now listen. <clears throat> if a husband's abusive to the wife, wife, don't stay in that. And if you divorce them, fine. But you can't remarry. Amen. Come on, church. God said when you get married, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. So you might as well just get ready to buckle down and try to make it through it. Because if you go to the ultimate and divorce, you can't get remarried unless you have proper grounds. Come on. But in human society, the law of our land says it's okay. And people say it's okay. But God says, no, it's not. Amen. What if you get married to somebody and then later on you find out something about their life that you didn't know before you got married. And it wasn't fornication. It was just something else. Do you have grounds for annulment or divorce? No. But brother, I'm married to an insane woman. <coughs> well, you let me get there. She already said it. But I'm married to an insane man. No grounds for divorce. Are you with me? They need you. If they're insane, they need your help. God's not going to say, get out while you can. They need you right now worse than anything. Man, if, if we could get a divorce over that, my wife would have divorced me after the first day. Man, She just said, oh, he's insane, man. <clears throat> no grounds for divorce. So what I'm saying is this. If you have no grounds for divorce, which is the only grounds is fornication, you have no grounds for remarriage. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. But, brother, before I was a Christian, I committed adultery. So does that mean that I, in God's eyes I'm continually adultery from then on? No. Because the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. What you did in the past 
Once you get baptized in Jesus' name and you identify yourself in water baptism in the name of the Lord, your sins are those sins of the past are under the blood and they are destroyed. So when you get in the house of God and you start living for God, you committed adultery before, that's all under the blood because the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. Amen? So thank God for the blood. But what if you are a Christian and you got, you're in the church and you're living for God and you, can, you committed adultery after becoming a Christian? What do you do? Do you divorce that woman or that man? Listen to me. Absolutely not. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he, he was a Christian. He took him to himself as his wife. So if you have committed adultery... You didn't have grounds for divorce from the first one and you remarried anyway. Listen to me. You have to stay with number two. Or number three. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So what do you do? You say, God, forgive me of my sin. I need you to wash me in your blood. Amen? Confess it to God. But you still stay with that person. Praise God. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> What if you're, 1 Corinthians 7, unmarried in the church with no grounds for remarriage? 1 Corinthians 7 say, says, stay the way you are. Stay unmarried. Okay. And you might be saying, well, that means the rest of my life. It simply means this. Be reconciled to your first wife. If that's impossible, if she commits fornication, you're an innocent party then. And you can then remarry. If she dies or he dies, you can get remarried then. You with me? But until those things that God recognizes, annulment things for marriages, you, can, you have to stay unmarried. Come on, church. But brother, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Will God forgive me? I'm not going to answer that. I'm not God. I'm not God. Are you with me today? Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. But if you know it, you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And then repent later. That's like saying, well, I'm going to just go out and commit adultery with somebody I don't even know and then repent later. Oh, honey, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble then. You with me so far? If you're sitting in the church right now, and you're an innocent party and your husband or your wife was unfaithful to you then you have grounds for remarriage but if you're a child of God 1 Corinthians says only in the Lord you cannot marry somebody who is not born again you violate the word of God amen <clears throat> does this help y'all this is the Word of God. I want you to know that I spent a long time in contemplating questions and, and reading and studying many, many things to see if there was any other grounds, and there is absolutely none. Praise the Lord. Brother, do you know how hard that is on me? Jesus said, If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that, that one of thy members should perish, that 
Not all thy whole body should be cast into hell. I know how hard that is. I've been through it. You with me so far? When I and as a child of God and I started dating, you with me? I'm a man. You know, she was a woman. And I, I'm telling you, it was tough. It was rough. It was hard. We're engaged, right? Don't give you a right to get involved sexually. It's hard. Amen? So when I went to a youth conference one time and a man was preaching about different things, about petting and getting too deep into the kissing situation and stuff, it was hard for me. And God dealt with me. And I, so I broke a relationship off. And I love that person with all my heart. But I broke the relationship off. God allowed that person back in my life. And I'm telling you something. If you want to be saved, you've got to be willing to deal with stuff and deal with it strictly when it comes along those lines of sin. Sin's bad. doesn't matter what it is. But sexual sin, it's on, a, it's on another level. Because sexual sin, you know, if you steal something, you can take the stolen thing back. But you commit sexual sin. And you've literally, if you're a child of God, you have taken the Holy Spirit into an unclean relationship with you. And when you commit that, that act, the Holy Spirit's right there with you. That's what it says in Corinthians. So it's serious. <clears throat> Sexual sin is such a, such a destroying thing that if you're involved in it, you are disqualified from holding certain ministries in the church. That's what God's Word says. Listen to me. If I commit adultery, I would have to resign this church. I couldn't continue to pastor it because I'd automatically disqualify myself. Would God forgive me? Yes, He would. Could I be restored? Could I be saved? Yes, I could be. But as far as my ministry goes, it's over. Forever. So far as a, a, a certain, I'm talking about in a pastoral position, evangelist, a prophet, no longer public ministry, gone. You with me? It's serious. But Brother David was, was forgiven and, and he was allowed to be king. But we're leaving in New Testament times. You read Timothy, it, it talks about that type of stuff right there. Amen. Praise God. That's strong. That's strong. Hallelujah. I mean, I could still be in the church. I could still teach on Bible studies. I could still pray. I could still do that kind of stuff. But as far as public ministry, I'm disqualified from it. Listen, because for God's ministry, the standard is higher than the saints. It's even higher than the saints. Are you with me so far? Ooh, goodness. <clears throat> But listen to me, that doesn't mean that every minister here that our minister that's been that's married a second time has committed that sin. They may have been sinned against, they may have been uh, their spouse unfaithful to them when they were married. The person they married might have been also uh, was not faith, faithful to. And so both of those parties in God's eyes, they're both innocent, that minister and the wife he marries. If they had legal grounds for divorce. So he hasn't committed that. But if he commits adultery, 
he doesn't qualify any longer for the ministry. Amen? Come on. So, so listen to me. Before you start thinking about divorcing your spouse, you need to think about how serious that is because you only have one grounds to get remarried again. That's it. And you think about the rest of your life lived in a lonely way and all of the things we talked about tonight, today, how difficult that would be. You with me so far? And if you say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, well, I'm going to tell you something here. I can't answer for God. Okay? That's his business. I know he's a loving, merciful, gracious God. He will forgive. There's no unforgivable sin except blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. But it's still, it's a serious thing. And I, once God has stated something in his word, if I go against the known will of God, I'm in trouble. I will experience the chastisement of God. Look at David's life. He entered into a relationship that was not right, even though God said, keep the marriage. You cannot divorce him. You've already entered into it. Look at David's life. He had problems from that day forward. <clears throat> he, David was forgiven, but he still reaped in his children those same things. Woo, glory to God. <clears throat> so <clears throat> whatever situation you find yourself in right now, <clears throat> excuse me, you live in a situation right now that you wish you could get out of, Think twice before you do. Do you have grounds to get out of it? Okay? If you're in a situation right now, you want to get remarried, you have to bring into all things that I said today into consideration before you get married again. Amen? Thank God. Let me, let me finish the Romans 13. I want you to look at me right now. I love every one of you. And I am not condemning anybody in this church. You know, I don't even know most of your situations, all the details. I don't know. I couldn't even get past you a judgment. If you walked up to me and said, I want to get remarried, until I had all the details, I couldn't tell you one way or the other because I don't know all the details in your life. But I'm teaching you the principles of the Word of God. You can, you can go by these principles and make decisions for yourself. But I'll help you. <coughs> Amen. Amen. How many of y'all believe I love you? Yeah, some of y'all barely lifted your hand. <coughs> I'm the delivery boy. I don't tamper with the mail. This is the mail, and I deliver it. If you don't like it, you, you got a problem with the book. You don't have a problem with the preacher. Amen. <coughs> I remember when that preacher stood up and preached at that youth conference. Ooh, I didn't know if I want to even talk to him anymore, man. But anyway, God helped us with that. That's good, isn't he? <clears throat> love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing, let's say this, and that knowing the time. How many of y'all believe that our salvation is nearer than when we first believed? <clears throat> Paul's already saved. He was saved. He is saved. And he's talking about future salvation. And he says, and that knowing the time, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He's talking about the coming of the Lord. And he said, Paul says, a lot closer than we even think and realize. 
That was 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. And if it was nearer than Paul thought it could be 2,000 years ago, where are we today? Amen. <clears throat> Let's all say it together that knowing the time. Knowing the time. I know the time. I don't know the hour and the day of His coming, but I know I'm in the time of His coming. Now listen to me. If you believe the church is going into the tribulation period at any point, I want you to give me Bible to prove it. Amen? Don't give me what you think. Give me what the Word says. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what you've experienced in your life. It doesn't agree with the Word. It's not right. I don't believe Paul was looking for the tribulation. I believe he was looking for Jesus Christ. I don't believe he was looking for the Antichrist. I believe he was looking for Jesus. Amen? Why is it that when I stand up and preach, and I preach on the pre-trib or what I preached on today, that I have to prove every detail? And then other people say, well, this is my belief. This is what I say. And I say, well, prove it to me. I can't. Well, you know, what's your grounds for believing what you believe? <laughs> Amen? This is the Word of God, and this is the grounds for what we believe. So look at it. He says, let's all say it together, that knowing the time... <coughs> What an ironclad statement that is. And that knowing the time. We're not blind, friend. We're not like this world in darkness, not knowing where we are. We know the general time. We know the season. We know that Jesus is coming. And that knowing the time. <coughs> that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Praise God. The night is far spent. How many of y'all believe that? What watch are we, Jesus? Are we the first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch? What watch are we right now? How much of the night has gone? Isaiah 21, the man from Duma came to the watchman on the wall and said, Watchman, what of the night? What time is it? He said this, the night, here in Romans, the night is already far spent. You with me? Coming to the Lord is not far off. The night is already far spent. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. We are children of the light, not children of the night. If you're born again... If you're not born again, you need to get born again because we're in the last days. Not in rioting. Now, what is rioting? Wild parties. Wild parties, carousing. You know, the world is just having wild party after wild party after wild party. <clears throat> but the Lord says for the children of God who are looking and know they're in the end time, said, don't be involved in that rioting, wild parties. He says, and drunkenness. Everybody, that's self-explanatory. Not in chambering. Chambering is sexual sin. It has to do with the bed in the chamber. Don't get involved in sexual sin. Chambering. He said, and wantonness. Wantonness is doing things with no shame. You see, people, you know, a person can do a, something wrong and be ashamed about it. And, and not want anybody else to know about it because they're ashamed of the bad things. 
But wantonness is doing wrong and don't care if anybody else knows about it. Publicly, we'll do it. With me? Homosexuality at one time, they did it in the closet in the secret place. Now they do it on the streets. Wantonness, no shame. No shame. Not in strife. Okay, that's strife. Is contention, contending for power and place. Amen. Not in envying. Envying is resenting the advantage of others and desiring that advantage for yourself. Do you understand that? Hmm. I had to watch this one yesterday, <clears throat> that last one, because something happened in somebody's life, in my family, and I really came real close to have a tendency to say, They deserve that. Amen? I mean, where are we in this picture? Come on. But I said, I had to repent. And I had to say, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for them. I'm, I'm happy for them. See, envy is resenting the advantage of others. You see other people bless, and you resent that. But secretly on the inside of you, saying, I want it. Okay, so basically that's what he's talking about. Let me close the chapter. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Say, I want to be a good citizen. I want to be a good, I me. I want to be a good citizen. Amen. <clears throat> but he says, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. You know what? The majority of us in the church today are not walking like Christ. We're walking in our own desires and our own want-tos and our own ways and our own wills and our own purposes and our own all of that. Amen? But the Lord says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't even make a provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't even give your flesh, but, you know, your flesh says, but you deserve it. God says you don't. Don't even make a provision for it to fulfill the lust thereof. Amen. Come on, church. <clears throat> Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your mighty word today. I know that you're not only our lawgiver, God, but you're our redeemer and our savior. And you died on the cross, shed your blood for us. We desire to make heaven our home, God. We don't want to find ourselves in hell, Lord. God, our lives should be in such a way, God, including, God, I pray for myself. I want to be godly, Lord. I, I'm going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. When my flesh wants something that's not right, I'm going to say, Jesus, take over. Give me help. Give me power to overcome it, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. 
God, I have desires right now that I know do not line up with the Word of God. I can't help those desires, God. I ask you to take them away from me right now. Take those desires, God, away. Replace in my life, God, something better, Lord. Lord, we thank you right now, God, that you have something better, God, to replace. That's why we put you on. We don't make provision for the lust of the flesh. I pray for my brothers and my sisters right now that may be struggling with things in their life, God. You're so good, God. You're so awesome. You've given us this word, these commandments, these guidings by the Spirit to protect us from harm and from evil. And God, if it's hard for us to swallow and hard for us to do and deal with, let us bow our knees to your will that our will not be done, but yours be done. And knowing that obedience is better than sacrifice. And I just give you praise right now, God, for your word. It's true. It's awesome. And Lord, we stand before you right now, Jesus, knowing that who, who could say in this church today that we are free from all guilt.